Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that early childhood nerd podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt-Santi, and super excited to have Miriam, Bel- Miriam Beliglovsky here. I mispronounced your first name instead of your your more typical name. <laughs> anyway, um, the Polish girl in me is always going to get your last name right. But Miriam Beliglovsky is here. Um, hi, Miriam. Hi, how are you? Except Beliglovsky's Russian, but well, we, we're uh, very yeah. close. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just mean maybe I, I'm used to those kinds of names that are maybe harder. Right. Yeah, I always I always say that if it ends on a Y, it's Russian. If it ends in an I, it's Polish. It's Polish. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's the origin of that name. Yeah, yeah. So um, go ahead. Yeah, I'm saying, well, the Polish in me honors the Russian in you. And we'll just go from there. Um, Miriam, you've got a, um, well, first tell folks what, what you want them to know about you. And then I'm going to jump in with this book that we're going to talk about. Oh, what I, well, I'm Miriam Belogolovsky. What do I want you to know about me? I'm a co-author of the Loose Sports books, amongst other books that I have written. And my focus right now is really looking at creating inclusive ecosystems for young children so that they can thrive and come in with this idea that they don't have a disability, they have a diagnosis. We can either disable them or helping them and support them so that they can thrive in spaces. Mm-hmm. So that's my new my new goal in writing other books, as you know, yeah. and speaking and presenting. Love it, yeah. So we're talking about this book, um, Just Play, Inspiring Adult Play in Early Childhood Education. Looks like that if you're watching the video. Um, and it's from Redleaf Press, <laughs> excuse me. And this one is, um, I don't think I realized this when I first saw it come out, that it's focused on working with adults and not necessarily, you talk a lot about the work with children, but your focus here in this one is really as adults, we need to be more playful Yep. and, and really um, uh, focus on that for ourselves so that we can do what children need from us. So I'm going to start with a quote from page 10, um, just to kind of get us started. And then as you know, listeners know, the conversations just go wherever they go from there. So you wrote um, as a profession, We must regain our identity and focus on what we know brings joy to children, families, and communities. We must recognize that every interaction with young children is powerful and filled with teaching and learning exchanges. It's time to regenerate our profession and end the identity crisis collectively. We do not need to define education as the process of memorizing the word of the week or reciting components of the calendar. Instead, we must reclaim the privilege of giving children a love for nature, loose parts, clay, art, construction, sand, water, and mud. Let's find the joy of moving, singing, rhyming, and engaging in imaginative play. Let's create fantasy worlds that create our stretch our creativity. Let's connect and build meaningful friendships and relationships. And I'll end with this sentence. We must invent a new language that describes the pedagogies of play and care And that starts to redefine what teaching and learning are about so that we can protect, honor, and respect the culture of childhood. I wrote all that. You did. It's so good. You're so smart. But that's, um, that's longer than we usually have to start. But I just love this idea of 
Um, and it's come up in a lot of my conversations lately, like finding a word other than teacher to use. And I've been in some conversations that are talking about how we have to leave care out of it. We have to just talk about early education to get people on board. And um, and all of that contributes to taking the focus away from play and joy and and relationships, I think. So I wanted to I wanted to read as much of it as I could fit in from that one section. I think it all happens. And I think that's one of the places that I would encourage us as a profession to really engage in deeper conversations about. Uh, we somehow have gotten to this place where play is now being redefined as something that it's not truly what I see play to be or what the research shows us play to be. Yeah. We, we have a tendency of creating language like play-based. Yes which doesn't imply more than just taking play and using it as an activity mm -hmm. to teach a concept. And I think that's where maybe the, you know, that pivoting point that sort of intersects where we stop defining really the meaning of play and where the word teaching comes in. I think teaching is embedded in the observations that we do with young children and the opportunities we find within the play, but how much are we taking away from them when we call it play-based? And do should we even be calling it something more than just play? For me, play is play. Right. You know, it's it's been defined. There's it's been researched. Right. So why do we keep as a profession going back to that whole role of what play is and what play means and that's what I was trying to bring in when I talk about that care is part of play I mean it's part of the interactions that exist with children and, and adults mm -hmm. even with infants and you're holding them and describing and talking with them that becomes a playful interaction and I think it's also important to redefine what play and playfulness is because I'm seeing a whole emergence of conversations around playfulness yeah. as so well what let's start let's define those two things what what is your working definition of play for me play is self-initiated mm -hmm. self-controlled the child is in charge what's important is the action that comes from the play that the children are generating, be it in interaction with adults, interaction with peers or interaction with objects. I think we have forgotten to look at the action and the meaning of that action. And that's how play comes. Playfulness, it is something that is inside of you that you find as you embrace the, the joy that you, that you create for yourself or you create in the environment. So I think both coexist, yeah. but they're different. Yeah. I, I think um, definitely you're talking about this in the book, but um, there came a point for me where I had to realize that not everybody had the playful childhood that I had, that not everybody had that, mm -hmm. um, those memories to kind of fall back on. And so it was harder for them to think about providing that kind of real true play. Um, and our, like our egos get tied up in it. If I'm a teacher, then I have to be teaching. And my vision of teaching comes from, you know, elementary school or when I played teacher when I was younger. And I, I'm, uh, it, it's hard for adults to let go or 
to set up those environments if it's something they've not had themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, however you want to do that. So can you talk a little bit about adults being playful or how that all fits? Yeah, for me, I think it's learning to trust who you are. And I think um, I see a lot of new teachers not trusting their ability to be with children. I mean, I have memories of the first time working with a group of children and having to sing in front of them. I'm tone deaf. I cannot keep a tune at all. And that sort of just crept in me and I couldn't, I couldn't even start a song. Mm -hmm. So I turned to the children and I said, what do you want to sing? And I gave them full control of what they wanted to sing. I said, okay, you got, you started. (laughs) And that sort of covered my, Uh my lack of trust or comfortableness, but it opened up for this joyful interaction. And I think that's usually what happens. We don't trust ourselves either. We've seen ourselves as non-creative or because messages we've gotten in our childhood, or we've seen ourselves as not having had that joyful childhood that you described. Some people have not. But at the end of the day, play is in every one of us. We just have to find it again. We just have to create those places where adults can thrive as they play. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that we often do this activity with adults say, what are your play memories? And that can also be very painful. Right. Yeah, I've stopped yeah. doing that. I, I used to do that. And then I, I realized that for some, it felt like competition with each other for the play memories they had to share. But then also there were some that it was really painful and difficult to go back and revisit. Exactly. For whatever reason, whatever experience they've had. But there's ways to re-encounter that playfulness within an adult. Mm -hmm. And I think in the book, I talk about, um, oh my God, I'm going to space out names. (laughs) Um, I talk about the the idea, not the inner child, because that's more of a psychological term, but the inner characteristics or your childhood characteristics that we must reclaim, you know, like this idea of being creative. How do we go back um, to finding that, to finding that creativity that is within every one of us? And I think also creativity has sort of been hindered by, well, I'm not creative because I don't know how to draw or I'm not creative because I don't know how to do art. When creativity is just looking at something in a very different angle from a very different perspective and be able to come up with a different concept. So creativity needs to be redefined and also creativity can be learned. It is not something that we have to always think I'm naturally creative. And along with that, let's be messy. Creativity will not exist until you give yourself permission to be messy. Yeah. Yeah. Whether that's actual physical mess or just that risk of looking, you know, like you talk about when you're singing, um, feeling silly. Um, I, I've been, and I'm just sharing this because I don't know where I'm eventually going to land or what I'm, what I'm deciding about it. But I used to, when I was leading, like facilitating a group training or now as a professor, um, I wanted everyone to feel, you know, very emotionally safe. And so if they didn't want to participate, they, you know, they didn't want to speak out, they, 
I wasn't too worried about it, but um, it's hard to keep group conversations going and, and to have that facilitative learning and not just me lecturing if they're not sharing. So I've decided that, and I talked to them a lot in the beginning weeks of class, that if you're going to be working in early childhood, you're going to be um, speaking and singing and um, and and playing in ways that might feel silly and other adults will be around you and you're, it's part of the job. So we're going to, I'm going to, you know, have more of a requirement to, to speak out and participate and take, take part in these play, play things I have, play plans I have in class. And um, I haven't decided if I feel like that's successful or not yet, but just to sort of describe my, my evolution of thinking about this, I think um, we do need to take risks and, and get messy, whether it's emotionally messy or, or actually physically messy. Yeah, I think it's giving permission. I mean, I, I, I'm now retired, so I haven't been teaching for a while, not that long. I mean, I retired in 2020, December, 2022, but I used to teach the creative projects and experiences class. Um, And I always started with just talking about what is creativity and how do you define creativity for yourselves? Yeah. My goal yeah. was always to help individual students to find their creativity in whatever form it was. And it was not easy. So I would prepare explorations for them to just paint with their feet, paint with their hands. Yeah. Some will do it, some will not, mm-hmm. you know, depending on the comfort level. So you have to sort of build in that permission to say, no. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I talk about in the book, in the book that I think would be a wonderful thing to do is improv. You yeah. Know, I had a couple improv, things marked improv. in that section. Um, because he goes back to my experience in, in not being able to sing. How, how do you improvise, you know? And I think early childhood, a lot of the times, because if you're following the children's lead, you really are improvising in the moment. You have to be very limber in the way that you answer and you offer new opportunities for the children. So how do we build that flexibility of responding? And I think improvisation is a wonderful way to do that. Um, I was looking for the quote because there was a quote in your your chapter or your section about doing that because that terrified me. The section I read about improv as a practice, uh, a way to practice this. Um, oh, gosh, I can't find it. But um, can you talk about what you mean? Like like in in actual practice, what do you mean when you say improv is a good way? I mean, I'm not going to take you into the full improv of theater. Yeah, yeah don't make me improv, but talk no. about it. <laughs> But you can do simple things like starting uh, to tell the story and then the next person builds upon that story and the next person builds upon that story. And you compare it to children's dramatic play. It is very similar. Oh, yeah. So how do we can begin as adults to make those connections so that you begin to value the collective storytelling mm-hmm. that comes when you're improvising as you're building this whole script that you can reenact and replay. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, and I can't remember the chapters, unfortunately, I don't retain a lot of what I write. I have to constantly go back and reread it, but there's a chapter where I talk about even doing um, a game of Clue 
you know, where you are finding mysteries mm-hmm. and it, it, it can be done. I think it's in the space where I talk about designing spaces mm-hmm. for playfulness to emerge. And I think that's the other part that's important is that this is not a professional development one day thing. This is a culture that has to be established in a program. When you really value the concept of play, then you provide the opportunities for the adults to also play. Mm-hmm. How do you design the way that you, people enter into your center or your program? What are the messages that says you can sit here and play mm-hmm. for both adults and for uh, children? How do you send the message to families? This is a place where we can play. Mm-hmm. Do you have opportunities for them as they're walking in to engage in mini play, if you want to call it something else, for them to really engage with children? Um, and then I talk a lot about how to design the staff lounge or the workroom. I mean, most places call it workroom because yeah. we can get past this idea yeah, that it's lounge. <laughs> it can be lounging, you know, and I think a lot of accreditation programs required it to be a workspace before you get the funding. Mm-hmm. So how do we create a playful space for that? And not this is not the place where teachers come in to continue to work or to do the paperwork that the program requires, but it is a place where you can just play, stay back. So what do you do on the walls? What games can you bring in? What loose parts can you curate and put in this place so that uh, adults have that opportunity to just Mm -hmm. quiet down and play? And I think that all connects and also with improv. You know, improvisation doesn't necessarily need to be a physical activity all the time. It can happen in ongoing collaborative puzzle building or ongoing collaborative idea building, yeah, you know, hive minding in groups. Mm-hmm. So do you have um, favorite things? I mean, uh, loose parts, of course, but like specific ideas for things that work well in staff spaces. I actually love to go back in history. So I put together a basket and there's a photo in the book actually of games that I used to play when I was a child Uh that are still around and that also have a connectivity to different cultures. So pick up sticks Uh was one of them. Jacks. I mean, I used to play jacks and I talked to a lot of people that they didn't have the money to play with jacks. They used stones, Mm -hmm. but the game was the same. Uh Jump ropes. You know, things that really reconnect us to that place of just being you as you were growing up. I I love the idea of creating spaces where we can go in and build our creativity. I think in the book, I talk about creating studios, Mm -hmm. adult studios. So I have one with clay. Yeah. Um, You know, where we can just get in there and get messy. Yeah. Get really dirty. It is a dream, but I hope that people can start thinking about how do we build these playful, joyful spaces where the more joyful the adult is, the more joyful the children will For be. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I've had things like easels and paints and Play-Doh and clay and um, blocks and things in, in staff rooms. Um, uh, this will tell you how long ago it was. Calvin and Hobbes books of funny, you know, funny comics and just things to make them maybe laugh in the middle of the day or something. And it does really, 
Um, you know, some of some people are like, well, this is unnecessary. I just want to eat my sandwich and get back or um, but but to watch it sort of evolve into a space that they that they really do play in. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what I would hope, you know, uh, uh, if you have a whiteboard, you start with a knock knock joke and let's see who brings in the next thing. So now you're improvising on building on that joke. Uh -huh. uh, whatever, knowing the, the educators in your program, you know, what are they interested in? What do they really like to do? Yeah. Can also bring in the ideas of where you can get started. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love, I have, let me, let me get them to show you real quick. <laughs> um, this is, these are one of my favorite. They're it's, uh, Jenga blocks, but they're acrylic. Uh huh. So sometimes having something like that, that it's new. Yeah. Space combined with the wooden Jenga. Uh huh. And see what begins to emerge and what begins to develop. So yeah. adding that mystery. So when they walk in, there's something new that challenged their thinking. It's sort of the same way we work with young children, yeah. where we add complexity to the play. So I look a lot uh, as to how do I add complexity to the engagement that adults have yeah. as exploring with different materials. Yeah. So this kind of leads, um, one of the things that surprised me in the book that I hadn't thought about before was you you talk about planning our conferences with play in mind, not just having a workshop about play, yep. but playing while planning the conference. Yep. So I wanted to give you a chance to talk about that a little bit, because I think that's something that I don't hear anybody else talking about. <laughs> I am. Um, I, I don't know about you. We just saw each other at Nacy. Yeah. And yeah. to me, they're boring. <laughs> Most conferences are, for me, it's places to connect with people. Right. Um, I'll be honest. I don't go to a lot of the workshops. I don't go to a lot of yeah. things because been there, done that after you've done 10 of them or you do four, five of the, however amount you do a, a year. Yeah. They all seem to be. on what stage of teacher development you're in. Right. I mean, yeah. for new teachers, I'm sure they're wonderful. Or for people that are just starting to present, I think it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, so nothing wrong with conferences. But I envision these plays that if you come from a playful space and you start planning from the perspective of play by engaging people that are organizing these conferences in a playful way and, and having opportunities to play, then more creativity emerges in the way that you do things. Yeah. I was very fortunate to be the speaker of record. I mean, the, the author or the professor of record uh, for the... Reform Judaism Conference in 2022. And we spent a year playing as we planned this conference. Yeah. And it was lovely. I mean, we had an entire room completed with loose parts where after workshops, people could come and play. Mm -hmm. We had one night where it was loose parts, light and shadow play. Uh -huh. uh, bring your drink come and play so there were opportunities for playing throughout we had singing in the morning to start the day we had meditation going on with this wonderful woman Shira Klein um and Susan Anderson and they were they would play the guitar and the fiddle 
natural and it was just inviting. The whole entire conference was playful. The presentations, most of them were playful. And for me, it filled me spiritually uh, yeah. to a very high level. And I think most of the people that came in, most of them were Jewish educators, not all of them. But they walked out of there, I think, feeling renewed and feeling like this is doable. Right. So how do we change our conferences to do that? I mean, imagine walking in a conference area and you have magicians doing a mini presentation yeah. somewhere. I don't know if you've ever been to the Magic Castle in uh, in LA. No. Oh my gosh, it's the most magical place. But magicians stroll and you have famous magicians and new magicians and they're doing card tricks. Or you have a moment where you have a place where people can come and paint together mm -hmm. or do ephemeral art together using loose parts. How do you, how would that change the way we view things? I mean, if we really want to start bringing in play to a higher standard with all of these education academic demands and requirements, we need to bring it to a different level. We need to just start playing ourselves yeah. as a well, I have a dream of an, that early childhood nerd conference someday. So we'll we'll do oh, a full planned conference when I. I'm with you. That. <laughs> I'm totally with you. Yeah. So so you mentioned standards, and that's sort of always looming in any conversation about play, whether it's wanting our teachers to to feel playful and to experience play, or providing it for children. It's a tremendous pressure for teachers and I can see some of them saying well I can't be silly and playful because I have to you know what if my director walks in and I'm just being silly um so how do what what do you, say? What do we do? What do you, what do you tell them what do, what I think do we do? need to learn to make play the learning that happens in play more visible yeah I don't think we're good enough at doing that uh, unfortunately, again, as a profession, we sort of polarized, mm -hmm. you know, we have no play, only play, only play, only play. And then we have academics, 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 yeah. and we need to come together. Yeah. We need to talk about, this is where the play shows the learning and connected to the standards. We may not like them. I don't like them. I don't like to that be the focus. But, but you can't that's... make those connections. You, uh, you have Authentically, to, yeah. We have to make those connections. We have to get loud at making those connections. We can't just say children need to play for the sake of play. Mm -hmm. That's the ideal world. Right. But it's not the reality that we're living today. Right. That's and, not the uh, piece that's going to change anybody's mind. No. Yeah. You won't. And, and it's unfortunate, but that is the reality. Yeah. Politically, historically, that's where we're at. Mm -hmm. you know, I was doing some reading in, um, I, I've done a deep dive into the loose parts theory because we keep quoting Simon Nicholson. Mm -hmm. Well, he wrote a four page article. Yeah, in what, 70? <laughs> in the 1970s. Yeah. He did coin the term. Yeah. But where is the depth of the research? And there is so much that we're not talking about. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of work that has existed for many, many generations. 
And if we don't use the language in a way that demonstrates that this is important, we need to stop fighting the reality that we're losing the battle. Right. You know, the train left the station a long time ago. So our role, as I see it, for those of us that have an audience that have a voice, is to continue to talk about play is wonderful. However, there's also a high responsibility that we have to begin to make connections to how those standards are met. Because the children that are losing the battle are the children in underfunded communities. Yes. Yeah. And that is a big concern because people that have the money, they're going to continue to play. They have that privilege. Right. But in underfunded communities, children may not have those opportunities. Mm -hmm. So we have the responsibility to make those connections. And I think by bringing in more adult play into the spaces, we have a better way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So hold on. Give me a minute. Give me a minute. That reminds me of something. If I can find it. You talk about critical thinking, and I think this is a good place to, to, to stick this into the conversation because to be able to kind of fight that fight for play, we have to be able to think beyond that binary if it's either play or it's learning, or we have to be able to think, well, the people around me only care about standards. So how do I make these fit? And I think critical thinking is a key piece of that, but it's, um, well, let me just read this, this quote from, from page 31. You said critical thinking requires an agile and flexible mind. Successful people are critical and creative thinkers who can adapt different strategies to life circumstances and respond appropriately to make the most of the changes, decisions, and unexpected moments at the heart of life. How does play fit in as adults for my critical thinking? How does, where does that I, I think play is flexibility. Mm -hmm. Play teaches you to pivot. Play gives <laughs> you that. Yeah. yeah, it's a pivoting point. You know, it's, it's, I cannot tell you, and Suzanne Axelson talks a lot about this, about this idea of, I think it's her term, main, uh, mind flex instead of mindset. Uh -huh. You know, we, we think, oh, we have to have a mindset for loose parts, a loose parts mindset. Hmm. I want to lose parts mind flex. Right. Sets right there in the, in the word. We don't want to be set. We, we don't want to be set. Yeah, we want to be, we want to build this capacity to pivot. You know, uh, we all have challenges. Children have challenges. One of the things that the biggest concerns that I'm seeing emerging a lot in the people that I work with is this idea that I can't do it any other way because the curriculum mandates me to do right. this other way. I think a lot of the times, and I'm coming to this conclusion that it is when they bring in the, what we call the urban myth, you know, licensing doesn't let me or curriculum mm -hmm. doesn't let me, yeah. it's more out of the fear to not be able to do something different uh -huh. and not wanting to go there. I think that's where our insecurities as adults kick in. So if we can switch that, um, way of thinking to say, yes, you can. And this is how we do it. As you play, what do you notice is happening? Mm -hmm. And it takes time. But I'm also very hopeful that the more we do play with adults, the more that they begin to value it yeah. in a different place. Yeah. 
So, so my struggle with, um, of course, of course, my main lens right now is my students at, in, uh, in my classes. So much of it is, you know, switching to online or fully online asynchronous, or we've got virtual where we're all in Zoom instead of in a classroom together. And that's, I think, another area where I have to be a very flexible thinker, a very critical thinker, kind of curious, or I'm, or I'm going to turn those, those modalities into lectures. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. do you have, do you have thoughts about how we do playfulness with adults if we're doing an online webinar or something like that? I start with play, play with each other. I mean, you have your writing group where everybody's yeah. sitting and watching each other write. <laughs> How about starting a play group where you start everything play? I think one of the biggest things we have to be careful with is that when we design these um, opportunities online for students is that we don't go back to or divert back to games mm -hmm. because then it's gamification for learning instead of playing for learning. And, and that's an easy thing. I mean, I see all these new things like, oh, let's design a Padlet bingo, or let's design the Padlet something. And I think that's even starting your webinar with an improv, you know, with some of the activities that I, or explorations that I talk about in the book could make it a lot more engaging. And you just know. loosen people up for the, for the discussion and the, the stuff, but uh, modeling, yeah, modeling that mindset is really fun. And this is, I didn't, I haven't mentioned this so far, but all of your, all of your, throughout the book, you've got like concrete, here's what you could do. Here's something to try for this idea. Here's a way you could try it. Here's what I've done. And I really appreciate that, that it's the kind of the more general stuff for me to think about. And then the really specific ways that it could be tried. I think that's valuable. I'm glad. Yeah, I had uh, I did a lot of thinking and work and went back into all of my my years of experience to, to sort of pull some of those yeah. moments. I think I talk about one of the moments where I was sitting on the <laughs> um, but started really bringing this idea of playfulness to my brain and play for professional development. I was sitting at on the I was sitting at a meeting with this hype functioning people you know the dean of pacific oaks college at the time and yeah. and um, a friend of mine who's now the president of the largest uh, resource and referral in la and it was so funny because at one point they went at each other and they started wrestling <laughs> in the middle of the meeting i mean i don't even know if they remember but it was so fun to watch and here we are, this group of, it was not a big group. It was a small group. We were just like so taken aback by the freedom uh -huh. that the space created for that type of wonderful moment to emerge, you know? So then we started dancing and we started, there was one of our colleagues who did flamenco dancing. I did flamenco dancing. So we just sort of evolved into creating the time to do that. Yeah. Always incorporated in our exploration in the meetings, you know, something start with something that just gets your hands to paint or collaging or whatever it is that gets your brain to keep going. Those are not that difficult to do. Right. You, um, when I did the, the adult play workshop for the play conference, I think you were there. Yeah. 
in San but Antonio. But I think we're presenting at the yeah. same time yeah, that I'm, come I'm so bad. Yeah. I did, um, I brought in rhythm sticks. Uh-huh. Remember those? Which yeah. have disappeared now. Yep. And I did it. To, people get hit each other. Children will hit each other with them. I know. Or they're too loud. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. You brought in. So rhythm. I did it to, we will, we will rock you. <laughs> and I mean, nobody made any sense. I actually <laughs> did for the, for the other conference yeah. that uh, reformed Judaism. We heard you in my room. <laughs> you heard us. We shared a wall. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. But it brought so much joy to the presenters to do that. You know, so presentations, professional development needs to be to that level Mm -hmm. where you just bring in laughter. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, most of what people present, I can read it afterwards. Give me your PowerPoint. I don't give out my PowerPoints. Maybe I should. But, you know, it's, it's like you can, if you have to talk so much, we're missing the point. We're losing the play. And I think that's what's happened. Yeah. In, in- well, so Richard Cohen and I t- have talked a lot in the past about, because he also teaches college students, how we want to teach. We want to model when we're teaching our adults how we hope they go out and teach with children. With children yeah. And so when we're, when I'm in the front of the room doing all the lecturing, I'm sending a really weird message when I then say play needs to be active and people need to it needs to be relevant and meaningful and they need to be able to act on their ideas. Um, so that's what I, this book I think is really, really helpful. Really great. I think bringing it back, you know, I, I, I always had invitations to play. Every table had a different invitation and I would start class with a play invitation and play music. And then I would see what emerged from there. And that's how I, I had a very, we do have a syllabus and we're supposed yeah. to, I was getting trouble because I didn't follow the syllabus yeah, yeah, um, or the schedule within the syllabus because I did more of the emergent, just like we do emergent curriculum with their own children. I think we need to do emergent curriculum with adults. Yep. It just needs to be a little bit more, um, I don't want to call it controlled, but set more boundaries so it doesn't become a gripe session. Yes. Yeah, that's but, when it gets tricky to bring it back from, for sure. Right. But if you set up the conditions for play, then the provocations can can emerge from that. And then you can make those connections. Yeah. Yeah. So um, uh, we're getting close to an hour. Um, if people want to find out... <laughs> If people want to find out more about you, where do they go, Miriam? Where can they find um, you? They can find me at playfultransformation.com. Mm-hmm. There's my contact info there. It's my website. I am constantly blogging. I'm about to put up three different blogs on aesthetics wow. because that is another thing. Um, you know, and you use a word curiosity. I've been rethinking, I've been thinking a lot about curiosity mm-hmm. and its connections to how do we become curious about each other in a very authentic way? Mm-hmm. And, and how can that curiosity lead to deeper conversations? Yeah. So my brain is always working. So you'll see it on my blogs. Yeah. I know I'm, I'm writing down a note because my brain is also going in a different direction now. Based on yeah. Um, and so again, your, the book is called just play inspiring adult play in early childhood education. Um, thank you for the book and for 
the conversation. And You're welcome. I hope a lot of administrators use what's in there to really uh, yeah. change what they're doing do. in their programs. Yeah, it's, I mean, I just, I'm going to say it again. It's really accessible. It's really, um, uh, there's depth to the idea and then there's concrete suggestions for how to to take your and, first step towards that. Or and to... it's also very personal. I think it's the first book that I ever shared a lot of me uh -huh. yeah. in that open way that I did in this book. Yeah. yeah, well, I really enjoyed it. So thank you, Miriam. You're welcome. And thank you everybody for listening to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.